0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Reddit Club Podcast. I'm here with Josh Bailey. Oh, he's got a ton of titles here. So he's the owner of JMB gunsmithing uh, and a good gunsmith at that. He's a rare firearm collector, which we'll talk about today. Uh, an avid hunter, he EROs all across the country and also competes in shooting. Anything else I missed? <laughs>
1: um, I've gone bird crazy, but.
0: <laughs> Cattle owner, how about that?
1: yeah got cows and sheep all of that yeah
0: there's a lot going on up there and you're in Kentucky no Kentucky Indiana Indiana I forget you're one state above
2: yeah
0: (laughs) awesome um yes I want to start out talking about the the fun firearms uh you own so I don't know anything we're gonna treat me like a third grader so there are some really obscure uh calibers that I've actually been able to shoot of yours which I couldn't tell you what I shot so we'll talk about that maybe um but out of all of them, what's your favorite firearm that you own?
1: Um, probably my old C96 Mauser handgun, also known as the broom handle. <laughs> uh, first, it was the first commercially produced semi-automatic handgun after the boar shot.
0: Oh, cool. So what year was uh, that? Mine dates from right around 97,
1: 98, 1897, 1898
0: yeah that's really cool how'd you find that one
1: in a house down by the ohio river the <laughs> the guy had passed away and left the estate to his ex-wife and she's like i don't know what any of this is oh make me an offer on stuff Oof. so uh yeah i i'm on up with a couple of good ones out of that estate, but uh it's probably one of my favorite ones to monkey around with and take out and shoot. That's super cool.
0: So, okay, what were the ones that I shot that I have no idea?
1: <laughs> um, let's see. That was my IWI, which is a glial in 762 by 39 and it has a uh, suppressor on it. And then my Harrington and Richardson M1 Grand National Match Grade.
0: That I remember them on grand. That was sweet. And then for those listening to IWI, that is a solid gun to go and like compete with in AK matches. That's what people are moving to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh the guys, Lan and Mike down at Dissident have really done a lot with those here in the last couple of years.
0: Yeah. They make a really- more
1: race friendly
0: yeah more ac- well not necessarily more accurate but they're tuning those running them they're amazing firearms they just won a bunch of stuff at the ak masters with those guns
1: doesn't surprise me
0: no yeah they know what they're doing land a mike just sit in arms look yeah. Them up.
1: <laughs> yeah and if you got 2400 dollars drop on a shotgun definitely look them
0: up do that too I right, yeah i'm in i'm in the market to to move it open i think shotgun will be the first it's my favorite gun i just love it oh
1: so many open jokes I could make. Well,
0: we're not there yet. You give it to me. <laughs> <idea>. <laughs> um, okay, so all of these unique firearms, how do you come across um, all of them? Or maybe what are some like random places that you have found, found them other than like estate sales?
1: Uh, the internet. Sometimes they just walk into the shop. Some will come in and be like, I've got this gun, I don't know what it is. And I get to go down that rabbit hole and kind of find out what it is and where it came from, when it was made, and what it was chambered in and, you know, did someone change the chambering in it or is it still the original? And That's yeah, no, it's a lot of fun.
0: So for someone like me, how do you know to look for those things? Like, are you an FFL that like searches these these things or are you looking at barrel stamps or like, how do you do that? I have no idea.
1: Uh, a lot of it's done by serial numbers. Okay. Um, Most companies kept pretty good records. Uh, But anything before 1968 can be kind of dicey on having a serial number. Yeah. That's when the federal government said you had to have a serial number.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. And then like the wood and like all of that, you know, can you date some of that stuff?
1: Um, You can usually tell if it's original or if it's been refinished or replaced or repaired a lot of it's just learning to look for little things like, oh, there's this hairline crack here, hmm. or that bluing's too good to be that old, or oh, that that finish is too perfect to be worn. It doesn't have the patina anymore.
0: Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. That's kind of neat. So you're almost like appraising the firearms that come into you.
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A lot of times I I do appraisals for insurances and estates and things like that
0: what I didn't know that yep learn something new every day (laughs) so do you think most people are shocked to find out something that like their father or their grandfather left them or their spouse and they have no idea what they actually have
1: the coolest thing I ever had come in guy called me up and said my grandfather and my dad left me a gun and usually around my area, anyway, this means like the old single shot H&R 20 gauge, <laughs> you know? It's nothing you're gonna send your kid to college on. And uh, he comes in with this old ratty box. I was like, oh man, this thing's in parts. This is gonna be even worse. And uh, he sets it down, it says Thompson on it. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And got into it, and it was a 1928 Thompson, still in the original packing, had the original magazines, the original paperwork, uh-huh. and had been mailed via the USPS to his great grandfather. What? Yeah. What?
0: What is that worth these days?
1: Um, this was several years ago, and it was fifty thousand.
0: Oh. my god and i would never sell that that's something i would keep for the rest of my life well and what
1: made it even better was he had the paperwork so i didn't have to call ATF and be like hey guys (laughs) you gotta come get this and cut it up because that'd be heartbreaking
0: oh yeah that does happen oh but
1: yeah it was all legitimate paperwork and we took it out back and got it hot
0: you got to shoot it yes oh that's cool did he do you know if he ended up like keeping that gun though
1: uh, as far as i know he did i told him if everyone felt to let me know and he's never called me back so
0: i hope he kept it if you're listening maybe he there.
1: got a better offer i don't know
0: <laughs> heck no that's really cool wow um so a lot of these like obscure calibers too we always tell people hey buy a gun that you know you can find ammo for <laughs> maybe not post covid but um in general like <laughs> you still have to hand load all the ammo for these right kind of um most of
1: them I have to hand load or there's a couple I've got that I can't even get ammunition for. Wow. They haven't made ammunition since 1941 or early 42 because of the war effort. Mm. And I've got some rounds, but they're so old. It's about 50-50 chance I'm actually firing.
0: Yeah.
2: And
1: shot <laughs> not all but one of them, so...
0: That's my next question. So, at least you shot them all almost.
1: Yeah, I've only got two I haven't shot. And uh, it's a 32 rim fire. And I've got I got my hands on some ammo, but it's really sketchy looking ammo. <laughs> <laughs> it's been sitting in a drawer for probably about 80 years.
0: Yeah, we can't have a gunsmith and, lose their hands right now.
1: <laughs> no. And uh, my other is a bring back from World War II that a family member brought back and it's a six five Oh, uh, and I've got brass I just haven't got any rounds loaded to fire it but yep. I, yeah
0: that's really cool so do you i mean, assuming it's a single stage press that you're working with or
1: even uh, for that kind of stuff yeah it's a single stage just one piece at a time you know that's cool and a lot of them don't get shot a lot because pretty fine six five Japanese brass.
0: Yeah, yeah. Estate state You can take some
1: some Creedmore and cut it down.
0: Oh, that's all. That should fun.
1: make Creedmoor shooters, you know, stroke out. <laughs> oh, I cut some Creedmoor brass down.
0: Ah. Yeah, I remember back in the day. This is kind of with that. Um, I have an SKB shotgun that I use for cowboy action, and they cut the barrel length down right. And I remember reading a blog about like. How cowboy action shooters are the devil taking these guns that aren't aren't made anymore and cutting them. We're like, uh <laughs> sorry.
1: You know, pe- people get all upset about like the Mausers and so many of them got sporterized. Yeah. People don't realize how many million there still are left.
0: Yeah. Or or the fact that I think, you know what? I shoot mine more than they even shoot theirs. So I don't want to hear it. Mine are loved. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and we all learned on something. I did a lot of things with Moe's and the gants when I first started working. So
0: I shot one of those. My Mm -hmm. uncle has one of those. We cleaned it with hot water and Dawn dish detergent. Does that sound correct?
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep. Trying to get that old, uh,
0: Corrosive powder out. Yeah, that was wild. I was like, oh okay, I've never done this. This is a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the same way I clean metal letters too. So neat. Okay. So most people, yeah, don't know that that is what you do. Like it's not a joke.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just I've cleaned SKS out with boiling water.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: That so we're packed I- in Cosmoline. And what? In Cosmoline, it's a really thick preservative grease.
0: Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I learned something else new. Okay. Um, so out of all these firearms too, uh, which one is the loudest go boom? <laughs> um, if you ask some of my
1: friends, it's my three gun rifle. Uh, cause I got a pretty nasty uh, older comp on it or break. Mm-hmm. Uh, my 416 Rigby is definitely the most punch I've got right now.
0: That's wild. What do you use that for?
1: Uh, I'm planning on going to Africa with it next year.
0: Really? Okay.
1: Yeah, going, going after uh, Cape Buffalo, hopefully. Nice. In South Africa. and uh, That should be a fun trip.
0: So walk me through that. That's actually a dream, a bucket list item of mine. Um, how do you book a trip like that or a hunt like that? How do you prepare for for all of that to make sure you know, your gun works, or your ammo works, or yeah, you can hit that animal, or I have no idea.
1: Yeah, you don't, you don't chintz out on stuff when it comes to dangerous game hunting. It's really not a good idea. Um, it's a lot of premium ammo, and learning to shoot big, heavy recoiling rifles, like my 416, about five rounds is all I want. Gotcha. In a setting. And that's off of sticks. I, I don't shoot it off the bench.
2: Um, oh, okay. And, you know, it,
1: it's $12 round to shoot, so. And that's on the, the, the reloading price is about five or $6 around. Okay. The real premium stuff goes on up to like 18 to $20 around. Wow.
0: So what scope are you using for that?
1: Uh, for that one, I went with a, Conquest 4 from Zeiss. It's 1-4 by 24. Okay. Uh, Real similar to our three gun scopes. It's a true 1-1X and
2: yeah. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) You're
1: you're, You're getting within like under 100 yards. Really under 80 is ideal.
0: That's neat. So you've, have you booked a guide or?
1: Uh, we're in the process of doing that now. Uh, I have some friends that have gone this year and one of the guys that is going with us, uh, is from South Africa who is soon to be my stepdad and, uh, another buddy that might be going did a tour of duty in South Africa when he was in the army.
0: Oh sick. So you, you know the people that know the land, know the place and been there.
1: Yeah, yeah. My uh step stepdad speaks Afrikaans and I think Swahili and what? something. Yeah.
0: That's so cool. That'll be awesome.
1: Yeah, it should be a good time. And uh, my mom's not my mom's going, but she's uh she's not too sure about watching us go and actually take Cape Buffalo. <sighs>
0: Maybe after she eats it. <laughs> it'll be, it'll well, be
1: Yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. She just, she wants to go see the animals and stuff. And I'm like, well, you can go and see animals. And watch a spack <laughs> a few of them and eat them later.
0: There you go. Sorry, mom. <laughs> So um, going back to the, the collecting of firearms too, are you looking for any specific uh, caliber gun right now or have your eye on any that you want to buy?
1: Um, there's still a couple on my want list. Uh, one's called a drilling gun. It's from Europe and it's typically two 16 gauge shotgun barrels over a 9.3. What,
0: walk me through that. You're talking about there's a barrel underneath... Whatever nine point three. There's
1: a thing of a double barrel shot, side by side shotgun. Okay. And then mount a rifle barrel underneath it.
0: <laughs> so on a one trigger pull, does it all come out?
1: No, no. It's they're selectors, and they're they're quite complicated, and <laughs> you don't see them. And when you do, they're more than I want to spend on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: But they did it to get around European gun laws because calling it a shotgun. Well, no, in Germany you could only own one firearm, so you <laughs> wanted something but
0: all in one, like the male shampoo and conditioner and yeah. body wash and toothpaste.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you had your your two shotgun barrels for hunting small game, and you had your nine point
0: three to hunt. uh the chamois and stuff that they hunt over in Europe. That's cool. That is cool. I like that. That was a man that invented that for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the other one, if I ever get that big money that I just don't know what to do with, I'm going to get a Holland and Holland. I've handled one. And if you, have you ever seen Holland and Hollands?
0: Yeah. I just shot one last or two weekends ago and it kicked. It hurt a little bit.
1: Yeah. But it was cool. And uh it, the doubles can go up to like $250,000 a piece.
0: Oof, that'd be neat though.
1: And they're still making them. Yeah. But I mean, it takes anywhere from a year to three to make it.
0: Yeah. So that's all hand dream. done in England. That's the dream. How do you learn to work yeah. on all of these? Like how do you, how do you already know or, or do you just learn when you get it? Um, I learned a lot of it from my grandfather, my maternal
1: grandfather. He did a lot of gun stockings and blue wings and was a master carpenter and it was he lived right across the road Hmm. so growing up that was kind of the babysitter and I'd go over and hang out with grandpa in the workshop and whatever he was doing that day I got to learn about
0: that's really cool is he still around
1: no uh he's been gone about 10 years now dang
0: that's really neat that you got that opportunity though
1: oh definitely
0: that's neat well on that sad note we'll uh keep going on (laughs) So you mentioned, too, that you've been, you know, shooting guns for, God, how many years now?
1: About 35. Yeah.
0: Who first taught I'm 30, you?
1: i 30, and I'm 39, so I first shot about, when I was about three or four.
0: That's cool. Who taught you? Grandpa. Yep. Same one?
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, as soon as I was old enough to line up the sights, you know, he put the sandbag out and We started shooting pop cans on the fence post. (laughs) I mean, you can't get more much Americana than that.
0: Mm -mm. He'd be proud of where you're at today, you know?
1: Oh, I think so. He got to see me get started in the gunsmithing and three gunning and hunting, but he he wasn't in the best of health by that point. So yeah. And I still have a bunch of the tools, like all my checking tools were his. I still use those when I work on stocks.
0: yeah explain what that is for for say somebody that's never even heard that word before and how that can also increase like the value of a firearm
1: so the checkering is just a line pattern that's made in the wood and it's mostly there for grip but it's also there for looks and certain patterns can increase the value because there's more lines and it takes longer to do it so you'll see them on the higher end guns um and the condition, you can tell a lot about how guns have been handled through the checkering. Like, mm-hmm. it's all mashed flat. It's been thrown around. But if it's just kind of smooth, you can tell it's, like, been carried in the field for hours hunting birds or hunting deer, whatever it
0: is. That's neat. That's neat. And, and how, <laughs> I want to say, like, looking at those patterns and stuff, can you almost tell, like, maybe whose artwork it was or whose craftsmanship sometimes, like, by these? these people you know that do that work
1: uh on the engravings some of those you can particularly know uh winchester had several engravers that were quite famous and i can't remember their names at the moment i don't have any of their work <laughs> That's because okay. uh, i can't afford it yeah
0: because after a certain yeah. price point like on the shotguns for example like it's really about the engraving at that point right
1: yeah, and who did it and, yep. you know, you can get into internal engraving and timed screws and I'm learning to engrave, but I'm, I'm still at the, like, very beginning of learning how to do that.
0: Yeah. Cool. That's next.
1: Gotta use that art school education for something.
0: <laughs> if only your art teacher saw now it was for firearms. <laughs>
1: Uh, some of them know. Some of them really don't like it, but yeah, no. teach their cool. own.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So you've competed. Yeah you you've would a ton of matches. Um, so I want to get into that that competition world too. Like, what was your first competition that you ever like shot or first style of competing?
1: Um, 4-H, shotgun shooting, trap, and ski. When I was probably about nine neat Ten somewhere in there
0: you're like the third Uh, person that's mentioned 4-h had shooting i had no idea
1: uh we were actually a test bed fort in the state of indiana so we were one of the first counties to get it Hmm. and i was in it the first several years until you know teenage years when other things start (laughs) dominating your life
0: yeah that's so cool though do they still have those programs around
1: yes Um, they're much smaller than they used to be but that's true with all 4-H kids are so busy with their iPhones and tablets you know they just you don't see them 4-H is kind of a dying thing unfortunately
0: sucks I would have killed to have known that that's a thing too and like they did you ever do the program where they did like raise like pigs you know to slaughter and eat or just the shooting side
1: um I did woodworking and I think I showed goats one year. In fact, I know I showed goats one year. But uh I had pygmy goats when I was a kid.
0: Oh. And,
1: and I still have some dwarf Nigerians that wander around chewing off stuff. So.
0: They're so cute.
1: <laughs> yeah, you say that until you have to go put them in for the 15th time in a day.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um so what all, in, in the shooting world, Like, what all competitions have you shot? What all disciplines? And is there something um, that you haven't?
1: I haven't done... I've done three guns, skeet, trap, a couple pistol matches. Uh, I shot some falling steel years and years ago, probably over a decade ago. Um, never shot the extreme long-range matches. I've been invited a few times. What? But it's, you know, like, hey man, you want to come out to Casper, Wyoming? And this is like on a Monday. And <laughs> they're talking about like being there on a Thursday. I'm like, um, I don't think I can just pick up and leave quite that easy.
2: So
1: um cool. and I have to borrow gear for it because I don't have anything set up for that kind of match.
0: Yeah, my friend just let me know today. Actually, she got invited to do like the photography at the ELR match in, I think we want to say New Mexico. Um and she wants to shoot that stuff. And I think that's really cool. And of course she would be borrowing. Cause like you said, that's really a niche market to find somebody that knows her stuff and has it.
1: Well, and just to get your foot in the door in that sport is, it makes three gun look cheap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah. for those listening like um there's there's long range and precision rifle series and all that but we're talking about extreme long range shooting so these people are like king of the mile and the two mile and further out and it's just absolutely insane cool math science ballistics like far beyond our level
1: <laughs> oh yeah the the math and it's trig and calculus and yeah you're putting in the spin drift depending on which way your rifling is and the spin of the earth in space and
0: <laughs> and it's uh, for real like it's so it's so cool but so much <laughs>
1: i'm lazy when it comes to ballistics i got a program on my smartphone i just type it in there
0: yeah, yeah. i'll let my cash do the work you know
1: yep yep that and
0: uh Straylock lock pro <laughs> yeah yep i have both <laughs> there you go um so then as far as like all the shooting and stuff i know you you shoot three gun obviously that's how we met too um but what's your favorite competition to shoot
1: Three gun. There
0: we go. That's that's our thing.
1: There's something about getting out there and running all three guns. I mean, like when I say dumpster fired matches, I had I remember the first time I shot pro at pro am when it was <laughs> at Rock Castle. So this was probably 2016-ish, 17, somewhere in there. And like two days before going, I broke two bones in my hand. I, bur- I fractured this bone and this bone, mm. and so what did I do? But tape it up, tape it together, and went and shot anyway. Yeah,
0: spit on it, rub some dirt on it. You're yeah,
1: good. and it was still like weekend loading back then. So, uh. I like for every four shells I pulled out of my belt, like three of them went on the ground. <laughs> oh. It was bad. Oh man! But I had a blast, and awesome. yeah. I love shooting three gun. I meet some of the coolest people doing it.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. People have no idea. They're they're amazing people, fun people. Totally different industries. People you would not expect to shoot three gun, right? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you get everybody from like the doctor to the SWAT officer and the house mom. Yeah. I mean, we all know ladies that come out and shoot that are like, oh, you know. I have a job and take care of my kids or whatever. And every weekend they're out there like slinging all this lead down range just having a blast.
0: Yeah, it is so badass. Um, when it comes to three gun and like major matches, what's your favorite style of stages? Um,
1: it depends. I used to really hate jungle runs, but I've kind of grown to like those, especially if it's just shotgun and pistol and you can just like hose through it so much fun oh. that's
0: my favorite jungle run i always shoot clean too so i guess i can find the target somehow i knock on wood <laughs> I, mean, I have great lakes of michigan coming up or whatever indiana i don't know the match anymore oh yeah
1: yeah yeah uh great Lakes three gun championship i think what yes. called.
0: and mark is Mark's gonna the Cossacks match yeah he's got like all these steel like white steel black steel like stuff you can't see just hidden in the forest people miss targets all the time can't see them just on the light like the the daytime you know that you shoot it <laughs> uh it can change so yeah
1: yeah yeah as someone who's our would a lot of a lot of matches when you guys shoot the jungle runs like it's already kind of been mowed down <laughs> when we shoot the jungle runs we're like there's supposed to be four targets on this side. Where is that four target? And you're sitting there looking around and you're like, well, I guess I just have to keep going. <laughs> you know, you just keep going because you may or may not see it because all the weeds are still in front of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And then sometimes too, like being the first shooter has its advantages, advantages, whatever, when they have like freshly painted steel. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever shoot an Andy Horner match? Oh, yeah, where the daylight just changed the targets. You sometimes see them, sometimes you don't. And tough is tough. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, paint, paint targets. No, we're not painting oh. targets.
0: <laughs> Everything's grayscale, pretty much.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you got Bruce who will do the same thing and make it left handed.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> make that the high value target, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like that high value style, heart target style and minimum reset, though.
0: Yes. Because that's no. one of the
1: things that just tears you up when you're shooting competitions the reset.
0: Yeah, I won't that mention is, that. Like, like, we had to go all the way down a tunnel, a hill to the very end to do clays, like setting up. It's like, dude, that's, no. We all have to wait yeah. for it to be done. We should be clearing guns instead of resetting and not at the end. Bruce is brilliant, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, and
1: you're seeing more of those minimal reset matches, which I think is a good thing, and mm-hmm. it speeds it along, and Anytime you speed it along, people are having more fun. Yeah, it's not like oh god, I gotta go reset the stage and everything. You're like looking at your phone. You're like I've already put in 13 miles today. I talked to- only three more stages to go today.
0: Yeah, I talked about this past weekend with people of like I did 25 miles in two days at a three gun match. People are like yeah, I believe it. It's you know you might watch or walk in a major like USPSA match 10 miles. Like I'm talking about 25 miles. It's like just resetting.
1: <laughs> oh yeah for you know what maybe 10 minutes of shooting
0: yes we always do that breakdown i never want to hear the actual times yeah,
1: but so much of the fun's in between when you're standing back there oh yeah you know you yep. off with your squad mates in between shooters
0: 100 percent. when i look back at my life i know those are some of the best times i had so um so okay i feel like this is your division uh have you ever shot heavy metal
1: I haven't. Um, I live where it's really hard to find matches. Uh, Most of the closest match is about 45 minutes. Um, After that, it's three hours and up. Yeah. Minimum one way. So that's six hour round trip. Yeah. So that makes it hard to get to matches. Um, But I recently got an FAL so i'm now ready to shoot heavy i just gotta find a double stack 45 tomorrow
0: hell yeah all right people listening let's get him in a heavy metal this is like the division made for josh and his rare firearms and all of his like random obscure <laughs> calibers <laughs> i'm for real you should just do a 10 gauge shotgun on top of all of that too
1: <laughs> you buying the ammo <laughs>
0: I will find it just to freaking like video this. Hey, know? Chad, I'm going to
1: use goose loads on all your
0: steel. <laughs> oh, I hope you listen to this. That's awesome. That would be hysterical. Your shoulder though, would hurt so bad.
1: <laughs> yeah. I probably have to have my shoulder worked on after that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yep. And there you go. Dylan usually will help you out. Chiropractor yeah. He's heavy. You know, that's his thing. Well, you know,
1: I, I guess you saw Dylan got hurt at a a hey, USPSA match.
0: Yeah, we're, we're making fun of him, which we feel so bad about. Like, or not me, but community of uh, getting hurt in a, a USPSA match. But now he can't shoot Great Lakes this weekend. So I was supposed to see him this weekend and do a podcast. And dude, it's not good. Yeah, Dil-
1: Dylan's fun times. Um Great guy. <laughs> we always have a ton of fun at Gen 3.
0: There's shenanigans That's- that go down at Gen-, at Gen 3. No,
1: no, 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 no. <laughs> no shenanigans.
0: You want to share any of those Gen 3 stories?
1: Oh. I, I remember a certain match director getting uh, cattle prodded by his daughter. And uh, that wasn't the only time he got hit with a cattle prod that weekend. <laughs> so if you see Chad Francis out and about, ask him about the cattle prod. So
0: funny. Absolutely. Or
1: tactical camo.
0: Yeah, we're... <laughs>
1: Was, We're not gonna show select, that story here. That no, that happened. was a
0: select, <laughs> select group of people. <laughs> <sighs> oh I still can't believe that was real. Like I just wish I could have oh, no I, I can.
1: can. <laughs> With him, I can believe it.
0: <laughs> this is true. This is true.
1: Oh yeah. that's he's one of the people like uh he's one of the people who kind of got me into three gun and gave me a chance to be an RO. And I remember the first year I went out, it was the last year they had it at the lake, which would have been, thank 18. Hmm. And I went out there with one of my buddies from up here that knows Chad because he was living in Missouri for a while. We, uh, I walk into the hotel room, it's Friday morning and it's pouring rain. Or I guess it was Saturday morning. It's pouring rain outside. A tropical storm hit the whole match. Oof. We were out there like in, tablets wrapped up in bags and trying to run them my buddy goes man I gotta go home I said what do you mean you gotta go home you're a stage you're CRO for our stage he's like he's a farmer and he had a fire in one of his buildings oh god that had equipment and seed in it that was worth a silly amount of money yeah you know like you don't think about how much farmers have wrapped up in that yeah so I get out to the range and Chad's like your buddy and I was like dude he had to go home he had an emergency and Chad's like I don't have a CRO to put out there and I was like dude I got a rule book and a radio this is oh. my second major i would ever RO'd <laughs> and that's how I, I got my first gig as a chief right? as chief for a stage was yeah, an, an emergency and I had a rule book and a radio and it's, it's been downhill from there <laughs>
0: cool that's awesome <laughs> that's a that's a learning curve too pretty quick you know
1: yeah luckily you know i most of the rules even in three gun are pretty straightforward and simple just don't point a loaded gun at anybody yeah don't load your gun until you're told to load your gun
0: <laughs> big boy rules
1: that's right big boy rules.
0: um so why do you enjoy competing what's your why um
1: well, those of you who know me know I'm a mid-pack shooter at best on a good day. Hmm. Um, I really like getting to know the people in it and I take and apply it to hunting. Shooting three guns made me a better hunter because I'm used to getting in the, for example, last year, the buck I took during deer season came in in a place I wasn't expecting one to come in. He came in and came across and I had I was using a 6'8 SPC AR. Hmm. And I had to get into this funny squat position and try to build my position on this ground blind Hmm. without making too much noise. Right. He was less than, he was probably 75 yards. Hmm. And I broke the first shot in this little messed up position I was in. I thought, he didn't flinch, he didn't kick. I thought, man, I missed. And he started to turn right as I booked that first shot. So I put another shot down range. I was like, well, maybe I hit him, maybe I didn't. He only went about 100 yards and fell over dead. (laughs) I discovered that I hit him not once, but twice. Once while on the run and once while static.
0: Holy crap. That's cool.
1: And, you know, we we cursed the match directors or like, okay, now you're going to get up on this wobbly bridge and stand on one foot and shoot with your weak hand. It's like, I hate you so much right now. But then, you know, I've been put in a position where, well, my dinner's out there. And the only shot I have is standing on one foot (laughs) with my weak hand.
0: While scratching my nose. it's wobbly. (laughs) <laughs> then, you know
1: and it's yeah. and it's 10 below zero and you're like oh <laughs> well this you know so it, it it helps you be a better hunter um yeah you know you can have a, a stage plan with hunting but really does that go how you think it's going to
0: no and like yeah like you said with shooting you're under pressure um so it does help that like pressure and do stuff which i don't care who you are when you see a, a buck or any sort of doe or deer come out you're excited
1: Oh yeah. Especially if you've sat out there for like 40 hours looking at squirrels running back and forth <laughs> and chipmunks and With turkeys nothing. when they're not in season. <laughs> turkeys are the worst.
0: They are. They're so mean.
1: They, they bust you every time,
0: mm.
1: make so much noise and I, yeah. That's
0: awesome though. And, and, you know, you should have been able to call your shots. I know it's really hard when you see that, you know, deer and he doesn't move. So that's really odd um but that's one thing too like when you hear steel we don't have that so many people don't check their shots on paper right they don't know where they're hitting they they don't have their gun zeroed so you know when you have that confidence too you should be able to call your shots josh and know that you yeah
1: my theory is you know if you can't hit a plate that steel six inches by six inches at 50 yards put the gun down And go back to, like, the fundamentals of marksmanship. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a competent hunter should be able to hit a 6 by 6 plate at $50. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every once in a while, you're going to have some weird round that throws. Maybe it was crimped too tight or too loose, or it's an old round. I mean, things happen. Yeah. I took a buddy hunting. He's yet to get his first deer. We finally got him on a deer. And we had two come in. I said, all right, you shoot first and I'll shoot second. And I heard him take the slack up out of his trigger and I heard the firing pin drop. So instinctively, I shot next. And I never heard his rifle go off. He bumped it out of battery. Oh. In the blind and brought it out just enough that it would drop the firing pin, but it wouldn't hit the primer. Gotcha. It was a freak thing. And he's still kind of bitter about that.
0: But hey, you gotta take cool it up up. before you go.
1: <laughs> well, and you know, I I've missed them. It happens.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: I mean, it's it's just like anything else you think, oh yeah, I can hit that static steel set in there are No, no, you can't. You're gonna sit there and burn like four shotgun bird shot shells at it, not realize you just burned all your time
0: and oh yeah. 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 Over. So just don't go to war yeah. with something in the Engage forest. Move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if there was one rule, maybe one rule, uh, and pick your competition in shooting competitions or maybe three gun, um, what would you change? What would it be?
1: I'll probably catch black for this, but I do away with stillboard. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen a stillboard shoot, but it's quite possibly the most boring type of shooting i've ever <laughs> they put a mark on a board and you shoot out with a shotgun and whoever's closest to the mark wins
0: yeah yeah that's like shoot-offs or like even when you watch soccer football and like it comes out on a penalty kick it's like what
1: <laughs> yeah this is even more atrocious to me um A lot of the rules I thought should be changed have kind of been changed over time. Like if you accidentally mess up your candy cane and you slug the buck and buck the slug, Mm. used to, that's in your home. I remember when that was a DQ immediately. Like you were done. Uh, I almost bought it that way a couple of times. Uh, I can't think of anything, you know, different kinds of matches different kind of rules that's like bruce Davidson's helping matches are i think a great thing and i think going out there and standing on your own alone is a great thing too
0: yeah yeah um it's funny about we were talking about candy cane and a buddy the other day hey if you don't know your candy canes don't do them but like i did watch someone slug a steel popper from like five yards i meant to be bird that still sends you home <laughs> oh
1: and- yeah that'll send you home
0: And it bought you that popper to take
1: off. Yeah, you you just bought a popper that. uh, I know somebody that bought like three of them at one match.
0: Oh, that sucks. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Oh, okay. Age-old question then to this uh, argument. Should Red Dots be in Tac Ops?
1: (laughs) Absolutely not.
0: (laughs) Thank you. No because then what's the point let's just like all have guns that are race guns and we're all going to be out of bracket you know
1: yeah and then what do you stop with that you know charging handles like a pistol compensators yeah Yeah. oh well you know we'll do away with that 170 millimeter magazine and let you all run the 33 round lock stick
0: (laughs) yes (laughs) there you go (laughs) exactly now i want to see you
1: prone out with that 33 rounder stuck in there (laughs) because freaking funny or try to go through a little tube.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, for those listening, I've done something done like that before. Um, no, Bruce. Okay, Bruce Davidson. And Mountain State 3 gun. Mountain safe 3 gun. This is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. So, he runs open. Okay. And he's got a bipod on his rifle. And there was like vent shooting where you had to shoot uh, long range targets. There's like 20 of them out there. So, Dumbass didn't realize that his magazine is taller then the bipod he thought he had it all figured out he's gonna have this comfortable shooting position <laughs> he gets up there i'm like i'm in tears <laughs> and he's like resting and wobbling on the rifle bag i mean he's already started he's already on the clock so at the end of you're it committed
1: <laughs> at that point that's the point you're going man i should have bought that
0: d60 <laughs> oh yeah no we were cracking up because magazine choice it's like 90% of your thing in rifle shooting. If you're going to be prone, if you're going to be on a platform, if you're going to be like in any sort of situation, no. I always have some 10 rounders
1: in my, and 20 rounders yep. in my bag for yep. just such occasions.
0: I've got mine packed this oh, weekend.
1: Yep. I've got, you know, two rifle targets here. Do I really need that D60 or the big 40 round P mag sticking out? No. Yeah. I oh, only need a 30. If yep. I can't hit two targets in 20 shots. <laughs> I need my squad mates need to talk to me. You
0: need to go back to fundamentals, like you just said.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> go back. Oh, I love it. Um so maybe the hard question, maybe you don't. I actually don't know. Uh do you have a DQ story yet?
1: I have come very dangerously close to DQing several times. Um one of them was a 180 trap at a shotgun match. Hmm. And I got turned around on where I was in the snow fence walls and just about turn around and pointed my shotgun at the entire spot oh oh how'd you get turned around I, I I saw a couple of my friends and their eyes were getting really big and I thought oh no <laughs> And turned the other way because I could see them starting to like that look of panic and being like no
0: yeah yeah you oh know
1: uh, I, I've almost ate it off of a uh prop <laughs> running downhill and standing the, it was a stage and I wound up actually running the stage for that match it was last year at Gen 3 and you ran downhill and you had to get on this stump at the bottom of this little hill and you had uh, I believe it was a Texas Star two plate racks you had to clear with your pistol I started on that stump and my feet started just going out and I was trying to balance myself and the guy that was our running me said, Man, I almost knew what brand of ammunition you were running. <laughs> My finger was outside of the trigger guard and it was on safe. Yeah. But it, it had to do with the momentum getting down that hill and onto that stump. And it was morning and it was slick. Yeah. Uh, we actually had.
0: The gun is like a range of motion almost like yeah yeah i was
1: using it as a almost like a counterbalance trying yeah. not to fall and break my face because you know after you went off the stump it was down in this ravine that was full of briars so Oof. really didn't want to go that route but yeah. uh yeah, that yeah and i've only ever had i've only ever had one dq in all the matches i've worked and it was uh at gen 3 27, 2018 and it was a really small squad there was like three guys on it and one of them said oh you know how's the match been oh it's been going really good you know I was pretty stressed out being a range officer chief range officer for the first time and you know we've not had any DQs down here it's been going great (laughs) and I, I couldn't even tell you the guy's name but was running one of those crazy open holsters that's yep. like skeletonized. Yep. And he missed putting his latch up. Judah ready. Stand by. Beep. Bang! Bang! Bang. Next thing I see is his pistol mm. and coming out of the holster and flying down range. Mm. And it's getting to a stop. It's like stop, 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 stop. You know, you can get him stopped. He's like, what happened? What happened? I'm like, your pistol's out of his holster and it's hot. <laughs> yeah. So of course, you know, work, I had to go home, but
0: yeah. The race holsters is something, um, that they're great for USPSA or for really still challenge. If you're going to walk around with them, you know, holstered, but they're not for three guns, especially when you think about having a reholster, you're gonna have to reholster, make it perfectly on that mount, put the latch down. In my opinion, I do say opinions. Um, we've talked about this before with other guests. You should have a hood on your three gun rig holster um Even if it has the best retention in the world, right? What if something like we we get in cars, we get in buses, we get in all of these different positions? If it pulls that handle out, it's not as retention friendly as you think.
1: No, 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 no. Uh, good holsters, just something you got to bite the bullet on and buy. Yeah, and retention- uh, I run a Weber tactical yep. with a hood on it, and I've slid through barrels, I've slid through cars, I've done all sorts of foul things to that holster and practice and matches and it just keeps on going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So make sure you do that folks. Um, <laughs> so you were talking about earlier how, uh, your competition shooting can come time or sometimes like transition and help you in the hunting world. Um, what are some other things that you see that competition shooting can help replicate, you know, about the real world? Um,
1: It definitely gives you the adrenaline dump that you're going to get when you hunt. Like, adrenaline's always a thing. And most of us that shoot competitively have a thing for adrenaline. Uh, no, I, mean, I have some friends that are straight up adrenaline junkies. Um, <clears throat> I think that it, it puts you under pressure and that can apply to self-defense, hunting, um, even just working in business, you know, oh, I've got to have this right now type deal. And it puts pressure on you. And if you, you've put yourself under pressure, a lot of times you can, you've got the skills to manage it. Yeah. Yep. A big thing with shootings, time management, knowing when it's time to cut your losses and move on to
0: hundred percent. That's something people don't really talk about. You know, we're talking about like transitioning shooting or like you know waiting on an animal or perfect accuracy but you're not thinking about the rest um you already brought up the great point something else someone taught me this weekend is tension um so like at a match if you like screw up your face and you're really tight or you've got your hands ready to grab your holster and they're all like in this position you're creating tension that's going to actually like take your brain waves away from what you should be focused on to focus on that and make it actually harder for you to shoot So I think that was perfectly a great example. What you said, knowing when to cut your losses, knowing when to move on, Um, knowing how to balance even to like, should you have made that makeup shot for time or should you have just, you know, had the faster time because the points would have evened out all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still
1: trying to master that.
0: (laughs) Yes. It's a lot of math.
1: Um, (laughs) And everybody I talk to that she's forgotten says that, you know, the management's one of the biggest segments and that's why there's people that write books about it. Yeah. And that's why you see the USMC team, the Marines, the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, uh, they all have teams for a reason. Yep. And they're taking what they're learning from competitive shooting and applying it to their business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. What do you think that um, some of the things maybe that competition shooting really cannot replicate? Maybe that some people. Think that they can you know,
2: just that
1: the the unknown split second timing of stuff, like I've sat there for hours in a deer blind, seeing nothing, and I'm sitting there, and you know I'm really bored i'm I'm sitting there, you know, messing around on my phone, not paying attention, and I'll look up and there's a deer, like you don't hear it come in, it just appears. <laughs> okay now I've got to deal with that or you kick one loose um mm-hmm. and when you're bird hunting it's the same thing you never know when the bird's going to flush or which way it's going to go
0: yeah yeah uh, and then- that's
1: something we really can't replicate in competition yeah easily um I've often thought it'd be fun and I'm sure those people who were really into making their stage plans would hate it have like half of a course where you could walk through and see it Hmm. and the other half of the course you have to shoot on your first like the first time you see it is when you're shooting it
0: so we have those back home um like blind stages so we did one where there was actually like a forest run and I thought that was really cool because there's a couple things going on is that like you said it's fair for everyone uh stage planning great is great but going in and having to actually acquire targets knowing when your sights are aligned on it, right? Completely blind. It's not like I'm looking for a rock on the ground and that's where I'm going to go to and that's where that target's going to be. No, like you've got to figure it out on the fly. Um, and like in the real world, you're going to have to probably reload at some point if you're in a, fi- a fire point, and you're not going to have like a planned reload in this spot. So
1: yeah, you can't go, to, you can't be like, oh, during the middle of this firefight crossing <laughs> this road, I know I'm going to have to my magazine and insert <laughs> a new one. This is yeah. not the time to be doing that. No, but, but no. Yeah. Sometimes so, you don't have an option.
0: Yeah, so I think there are some stages out there. I've never seen it at a major match, right? I think some people would probably get upset by that, but I have seen them at Locals.
1: Yeah, um, I could definitely see a fight for just set in major, you know, pay that kind of money, and then it's like, you're asking us to do what?
0: Well, what if the pros do poorly, and then the amateurs shine, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's our mid-pack time.
1: (laughs) Right? Time for the mid-pack to rise. Oh, that's really funny.
0: Oh, I love it. It's like Star
1: Wars, only worse. Yeah, I was just saying, how,
0: how would you reset it then? It would have to be like those reactive targets that, like, or just ding, they don't fall, you know?
1: A Bruce Davidson special right there. No reset.
0: <laughs> I like it. Um, and the other thing uh, that competition can replicate, obviously, is if people are shooting back yeah um
1: that's not something you ever really want to get involved in
0: (laughs) no we'll just leave it at that (laughs) um okay so you were talking about a little bit earlier and hitting at it so you've been bird hunting um and i an upland bird which you're gonna about to teach me about that um so i know nothing about dove or quail hunting or i don't know what other upland bird there is so tell me what you're talking about when you say upland bird hunting how to hunt them uh, and all of that as if you're talking to like a five-year-old
1: Okay, uh, I actually just got into bird hunting the past year and a half or so. You'd think somebody that shot like all this trap and skeet would be into bird hunting, but... Mm. Mm. See, here in the winter of 78, we had a huge blizzard and they got like six feet of snow in places and it killed a lot of the wild birds. Okay. So we really don't have them here, but your upland birds, and we're getting them back now, are like quail and pheasant, chucker. Um, to a lesser extent, dove. Okay. Um, and you know, there's subspecies of quail and subspecies
2: of the pheasant and the chuckers. Uh,
1: a lot of what we do is, uh, what's called a put in place hunt. Like you go and you buy 10 birds and they have these fields where they go out and put the bird, they, you take them and you tuck their head underneath their wing and you roll them and you set them out. And the hunters don't know where you like they have all these places they'll put them. And you go out there with your dog and you let it off and you let it start doing its thing. They'll start running their patterns. And uh then they'll get on point
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they'll start pointing at wherever the bird is, and you'll start walking towards it, and the bird will usually flush. And pheasant usually goes straight up. Quail usually stay a little bit lower and zip side to side. Chuckers can do kind of a mixed bag of that. Um, you also have what's the other one? We don't have them here. Uh, ruffled grouse.
0: Okay. No idea.
1: Uh, I've seen one of them my entire life in Indiana. Like they, huh. they just we don't have any of them. Um, so a lot of it is that's sustainable hunting of birds because there's so few wild birds that make it they if everybody went bird hunting there'd be no birds yeah um but yeah it's a fun hobby it it really picked up during the the covid pandemic with social distancing because you get to stand like 12 feet apart and you're out in the open air and you get to keep the birds you find and that's cool Kill, and a certain number of them escape and oftentimes start wild coveys
0: oh that's neat so it's kind of a conservational thing too yeah yeah
1: yeah And it, it helps prop up the numbers of the quail particularly um because they're more native yeah than the others
0: so where would someone like go and sign up or find more information on upland bird hunting uh-
1: um you can usually find game preserves um particularly in the midwest there are places that you know friday thursday through monday they hunt birds (laughs) they have dogs you can use um and you pay a set fee um there's several in ohio there's several in indiana and several in kentucky that i know of cool like and, uh, it's, you know, it's an excuse to get the over-under shotguns out.
0: That was my next question. Yeah. What guns do you use?
1: <laughs> um, I usually run a Winchester 101. I've got a Superpose and a pigeon and they're both in 12 gauge. Cool. Uh, another person that hunts with a hunts with a 20, uh, 28, especially for like the quail because oh, they're yeah. so small. Yeah. 12 can really bust them up. You'll see some 16s as well. Um, And you see over, under, side by sides. I've started taking my three gun and shotgun out there with me.
0: (laughs) Wait, but there's not, do you have to put a plug in though to hunt those or?
1: No, no, no. Uh, They're not migratory birds on the place and the put and hunt, the place and hunt. You don't have to, there's no rounding.
0: Okay. That was my next question too. Cool.
1: I'd probably though put the, Take the extended tube off, just so I didn't have Look. the dragging through the weeds and the muck.
0: Yeah, true. I um, I have a cowboy action gun that I actually have a belt for. It's double barrel, uh, side by side, but I can load fast and shoot and like unload and <laughs> it's so fast. Hey, it might work.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, side by side works. Uh, yeah. you usually, only get about one shot a piece at a bird. Yeah. Um, there was one. Last year we were we just got done, we'd unloaded, coming out of the field. We've been putting them in one of the other guys' pouch, and all of a sudden we look over and there's this chucker running. <laughs> and our guns are sitting there broke over our shoulder, you know, like typical bird hunter pose. Yep. And both of us dropped our shotguns down, shoved one in the bottom, and came up. And the guy was with missed, and I managed to hit it. But it was Autopilot, like, yeah, I wasn't paying any attention. It was just, oh, that bird is running away from us, and it just came out of that pouch, (laughs) (laughs) it was just unconscious. Oops, Eh.
0: but the guide was impressed or wasn't impressed.
1: Well, it was my soon to be stepdad. (laughs) It, It was just one of those things like it happens once in a great while, but you don't see it all that often, and it's really funny when you get to see it happen
0: gotcha gotcha um is there any other gear that you need to bring or do you are you wearing one of those like vests with the pockets for the ammo
1: (laughs) yeah yeah uh we usually wear particularly during deer season you wear your hunter orange yeah
0: don't want to get shot don't want to
1: be wandering around in a brown jacket out in the tree lines (laughs) um but yeah we you know I've seen guys do it with shotgun shells in their pocket.
0: Cool. Yeah. You know. Run what you got.
1: Yeah. Run what you got. And like, I, I'm i not a big gun dog person. Yeah. I I like my German Shepherds, but I enjoy herd dogs. Yeah. I. They're not my, I haven't learned how to train one or anything like that yet. I'm getting ready to learn that. Uh, hopefully here in the next year or two so
0: cool like it.
1: it it's a fun little hobby and it's slightly cheaper than free gun
0: and you still get to eat
1: <laughs> that's right you get to eat whatever you kill and i tell you what you roast or smoke some of these birds and they're delicious
0: they're so good we um you wrap them in
1: bacon mm-hmm.
0: all of that we see like cornish hens too for um for christmas dinners and we would go duck hunting and we'd eat that fresh duck like that was our thing um i went duck hunting a lot over over the holidays and that's what we'd eat we got dinner <laughs> <laughs> i think a lot of people don't realize how many people do legit live you know hunting to table like they're not going out oh yeah like they are legit fishing for that hunting for deer or duck or whatever for their food
1: i'd say 90 Plus percent of the protein I consume in a year is raised. I either raise it myself or I'm harvesting it naturally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I wish I had that close one day.
1: <laughs> you never know.
0: It's true. So switching, switching gears actually into that. Um, I know you have a couple of different hobbies. We'll talk about the beekeeping and I want to go into since you already brought it up uh, raising cattle. So I know that you raise cattle. Um, you humanely slaughter them a lot better than a lot of these uh, animals are treated, and provide the meat for yourself. So, how did you learn to do that?
2: <laughs> um, we, I,
1: I've lived on a farm most of my life, all except the time, the few years I was away in college, and the first year or two I was alive, and I don't, you know, I don't remember those. Um but I grew up and we did a hundred chickens every summer. Wow. We slaughtered a hundred chickens every summer. We did our own turkeys for Thanksgiving. We did hogs. Cool. And that's
2: went fishing. It you know, we went rabbit hunting, you
1: went squirrel hunting, and you know, you got to eat it.
0: Yeah. I think So it
1: started, you know, with small stuff and then went bigger and bigger.
0: Yeah. Are you actually, like, did you actually have the, I guess like the meat hangers and actually skin them and then actually quarter them or, or the butcher process? Like who did all of that?
1: Um, I do all my own. I do most of my own pork and all my own deer. Um, the cattle, to be honest, are so big. Yeah. And there's, the last ones we did were, one was 1,700 pounds and one was like 1,400 pounds. Good Lord. Um, and it's just more than I can handle. Uh, so I had a locker do the cut up on it. Cool. Yeah. And, you know, they, they also have the time to hang it and age it. Yes. Because you don't want fresh butchered beef. It's tough. It's, yeah, it's not very good
0: no yeah that's like across the board um as far as like raising them yourself do you have to have certain this is probably a dumb question but like certain certifications or like I don't know certain living conditions all of that like how do you go out and buy a cow well
1: uh go down to the neighbor's house and buy a cow usually (laughs) um or a heifer which is an unbred A cow has not had a calf yet Mm -hmm. um you you have to have enough ground for them to graze on. You got to have somewhere for them to get in and out of the weather. You got to have access to water and you got to have a hay source for the winter. Nice. And we also feed grain in the winter because we're far enough north that winter can be cold. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they're out there. They need the extra fat, so they get grain and you know, during the summer, it, it's real easy. Like you go check on them once every couple of three days and make sure they're not in any thing they shouldn't be. And then wintertime, it's every day you got to go make sure they're fed and watered. Yeah. If it's cold, you got to make sure that the I they're, they're The icers are working so they can get to water.
0: Oh yeah. Right, right. Right. Have you ever slaughtered one that you really didn't want to? Cause you loved it. <laughs> Bambi is delicious. I know, Um, I know. But I feel like I would get attached to a cow. They're so cute. (laughs) uh,
1: I have this really macabre thing about raising meat animals. Yeah. Um, My cattle are named after cuts of beef. (laughs) I've had T-Bone. I've had Porterhouse. I've had Wellington (laughs) and Prong, as Uh, in prime rib. Uh, this year we kept some lambs off, and one's named Lamb and one is named Chop.
0: Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Makes it <Like> easy.
1: It's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's food, and that way when you're when you're working them, like my mom helps a lot with them. We can say, oh, did you see Lamb or Chop is limping or whatever, and then we know which one it is mm. and kind of keep an eye on. it. Gotcha. You know they kind of get nicknamed. It's kind of like three gunners. You're like. I've squatted with you before, and I can't remember your name, but I know you shoot something odd, like an aug sire. You know, and you'll be like, "Hey, Augie, something." You know, you know, things get nicknames, kind of. Just, however,
0: yeah. What do you like? What do you wish more people knew about um, having livestock? You know, having the butchered properly, having them well fed, maintained, and stuff. What do you wish people knew, especially like any stigmas out there?
1: Um. I grew up in a place where pigs outnumber people about nine to one. Oh, wow. Um, big commercial hog. Commercial, quote unquote, commercial, because they are businesses. Um, yeah. But they're family owned businesses. And that, you know, people get upset about, oh, the farrowing crates and all this. And I'm like, you never worked in an industrial hog building. Yeah. Like, livestock is brutal to each other um they'll you know anything different they'll single it out and kill it yeah that's all there is to it particularly poultry um and birds yeah they're mean (laughs) yeah yeah birds are brutal mean little monsters
0: yeah yeah and I mean
1: I, I wish people knew how much work and care like it's not like oh you're leaving them in these filthy conditions like there's just a certain amount of dirt that goes with it it's yeah livestock it's gonna be dirty sometimes
0: yeah pigs enjoy that
1: <laughs> oh yeah well they wallow and it keeps the flies off of them and keeps, keeps them cool it. yep yep but people don't realize like it it's a lot of
0: work oh it's a ton and you have to be up early and then you have to be home and you can't go traveling and i'm sure <laughs> finding babysitters isn't fun <laughs> yeah.
1: um Yeah, it takes coordination to do any kind of traveling. Like when I go to matches, I have two dogs and two cats that have to be checked on top of my cows and sheep and birds. And, you know, it's just every day something has to be done on the farm to make sure that you're ready for winter when it gets here. Yeah. Because when winter gets here, you're not going to be taking that. Twenty foot trailer up the road to be picking up eight round bales. Yeah, not going to happen. Like it's just you know, it's it's all about planning and it's a lot of work. I don't think people realize it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So, how to um, once you have a cow quartered and cut up and butchered and all that, how long does like one meat cow last you?
1: Um, we're
2: feeding about three.
1: We feed anywhere from, like, six to ten people. Uh, a cow will last us usually about a year, year and a half, depending wow. on size of the cow. Um, and you got to have the storage space. <laughs> so we all have deep freezers, you know. My aunt is my next-door neighbor. My mom lives across the road. So we all live right here, and it's pretty easy for us to, you know, go pick, you know, divvy up the meat and throw it in different freezers and we're ready to go.
0: I like that. Yeah, I had to buy a deep freezer after I uh, killed my first buck this this fall. So I have a deep freezer in my kitchen. <laughs> so I don't have a garage. And it is what it is. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, that's where my deep freezers are. They're in my garage. Uh, mostly because my house uh, is really old and the wiring, uh, I just don't know what to take
0: it but yeah, that's, that's important. Um, okay, switching gears slightly too. I want to go back into the, the, like honey. So you harvest honey or bees or you're a beekeeper, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I just started keeping bees this year. Um, kind of fell into it. A buddy of mine got hurt on the farm and he's got about 70
0: hives. What? So that's 70 queens, 70 hives
1: yeah and some of them are huge like they're taller than i am what yeah um
0: how much land do you have to have have 70 hives on
1: you really don't want more than about 24 per three square mile yeah because anymore the bee will only go three miles to find food only forage for three miles um then they get to the point they're robbing out and or they're starving out and not having enough to hunt or' enough food uh, i I've got one hive, and uh yeah, so my buddy broke his broke his wrist and has uh had to have surgery in this whole deal, and he's like, "I got these bees, I gotta work with. and I've always kind of been curious so I borrowed a bee jacket and some gloves and started going to keep bees.
0: (laughs) So when you transport it, I've heard that you've had to like, you have to keep the queen with the hive. It's not that great relocating them. Like, how did you do all that?
1: Um, a lot of it's done in cardboard boxes, to be honest. Yeah. Um, we caught some swarms this year that were pretty good size. Um, there's specialized boxes that we can put the frames in for them. And wherever that queen goes, they'll follow. Right. So when they're swarming, they're pretty docile. Now, when they've got a nest or a hive, they can get hot and a little aggravated,
0: like territorial.
1: Uh, you can actually get what's called a hot hive, and uh, they'll actually go after you and run, chase you.
0: Oof. Okay, not fun. Not fun. But
1: most of them are really calm, like, unless you drop them, they're usually all right. Like, Gotcha. Unless Um, you really do something wrong.
0: When you say frames, are you talking about you're, like, sliding those inserts in?
1: Yeah, those pieces that slide down into the boxes, those are frames. Um, And this year... We had horrible luck with our bees in general in our area. Uh, a lot of queens failed. And I was queen right, and then my queen died, and we're not sure why. And I requeened them and that queen laid drones for a while and then died.
2: Mm.
1: Not sure what happened with her. So I lost my hive this year, but I want to go ahead and extract all the honey because I probably got about eighty pounds of honey in it.
0: From one hive one hive That's normally a-
1: they normally you can only they need 80 pounds of honey to make it through the wind. okay so the big big hives you can get several hundred pounds you know you can get 100 pounds of honey out of a big big hive it's
0: crazy cool when you say requeen, too like how do you find a queen and pick a queen and requeen a
1: <laughs> you'd put an ad on craigslist no
0: <laughs> how do you do this
1: Go down to your local club. Um, you can buy them. You can draft them. You can kind of force them to take a new queen. Okay. Uh, there's different ways of doing it. Uh, usually we just kind of integrate her in. And because the guys I'm doing it with, we really are focusing on bees from and for this area. Gotcha. Like, there's different kinds of bees. There's Italians, there's Russians, there's Japanese, there's the dreaded Africanized honeybees, there's African honeybees. Yeah. And yeah.
2: they all have different
1: pluses and genetics. Uh, big thing right now is Varroa destructor mite, uh, Russian bees developed in Siberia alongside the mite. So they're more mite resistant. Okay. So you know you want to introduce some of those genes. And we're trying to get genes and wild bees for our area.
0: When I know like I have allergies, right? And so I buy the I want to say tupelo honey. so that's sound correct? For like that's local. So that way I Yeah okay is that similar like you want to have honey that's local because you're literally ingesting the allergies or allergens or whatever in the community
1: yeah you're getting the nectar from those it's a real complicated process is how bees make honey yeah it's really fascinating like when they come in they dance and it sounds insane but they get on the landing board and they'll sit there and wiggle and flap their wings and they do this little dance, and it tells the others where to go to find that food source.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the other thing they use is pheromones, um, particularly to defend the hive. You'll run into pheromones. Yeah. But uh, yeah. The idea is it just helps your allergies. I don't. You know, I don't know that there's any hard science behind that. Whatever hard science is these days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's cool though did you uh we do did you like, n-
0: <laughs> what
1: we do a whole nother show on what is science and what I know. is
0: not. <laughs> I know I was thinking like um like Cheerios they do the little wild flowers like plant those do you plant those and are intentional about some of the stuff that you have around them
1: um to some extent I live where we have so much forage for them I mean I live in farm like row crop country so yeah it's beans and corn and you know i try to make sure i've got clover but that's also is for part of my feeding program for my animal livestock so it kind of all ties together because if i've got clover then the bees have something to feed on and they're making more clover for the animals to eat
0: yeah, it's it's a full full life circle. What is it? Yeah, circle. Of life. The circle of life. Immediately, what came into my head? Um. <laughs> so I I have had the honeycomb itself. Like that tastes good.
1: Oh yeah, combed honey is the best.
0: A lot of especially first
1: thing in the morning. You gotta get used to chewing that wax though.
0: Yeah, it's that a little. Is... <laughs> it
1: can be a little off-putting.
0: <laughs> but it is good. So how do you? yeah i'm gonna ask you this so how do you actually get the hive honey into the jars and get it all out of there
1: well you take what's called a hot knife you take the frames out and get all the bees off of them you take a hot knife and you cut the cappings off because the bees will naturally put a wax cap (laughs) on
2: um
1: so you cut that off with the hot knife and you put it in a central what is it called an extractor but it's basically a centrifuge. And you, if you've got the old one, you have to sit there and crank it. And when my buddy started doing it and I started learning about it, he's got four kids. So guess what the kids got to do? They got to crank it. And uh, now we've got one that's we plug in and it's much easier, you know, run it. And honey goes down into the bottom and you run it through some sieves to get all the cappings. and miscellaneous stuff out of it that's kind of in there like chunks of wax basically
0: yeah yeah
1: and uh then it winds up in a bucket and you just run it into little jars
0: i love it that's so cool
1: here's a a strange fact the only thing you can bottle at home without fda approved
0: i didn't know that hey
1: because it's naturally antimicrobial and antiviral
0: that's amazing bees are bees are amazing they're good for the everything the habitat in the world and I love local honey um I just think that whole process is so cool I know a couple of friends that have had yeah their little cardboard box with a little lid for their beehive <laughs> and they've painted oh, them yeah. before like <laughs> they're, they're cute
1: oh yeah and it, it's fun and it's you know it's really not a lot of work to raise bees yeah they're pretty self-sufficient and uh you know you get the benefits of honey and they're it also you know i got a couple around the house i figure if anybody's running around there at night it shouldn't be not one of those over yep well you know i'll call the ambulance for you that's
0: (laughs) yep yep cool all right well that's your your segment on honeybees guys and now you know how to do it sort of uh (laughs) my favorite part that i've been waiting to get to i saved it for last um R.O. War Stories.
1: <laughs> oh, R.O. War Stories. Ah.
0: Yeah, so can you put a number on how many matches you think you've worked?
1: Or I don't know. <laughs> I've worked... The last couple of years, I've worked three majors in six weeks just because of the way the scheduling works. I usually work Gen 3, the program at Clinton House that Donnie Flo does, and uh, Memorial out in North Carolina, mm-hmm.
2: Memorial Three Gun Foundation match. I've probably,
1: over the years, RO'd or worked on a range of dozens of different matches of different types, you know? And mm-hmm. Some of it was like, oh, a bunch of us got together and shot 22, you know? You still have to have somebody out there that knows what they're doing. Yeah. And kind of keep an eye on everybody and be like, look, man, this... No, we're not shooting the field plate at 10 yards with a 22. We're no. Yeah. We're just not doing that. Yeah. Um I'm trying to think some of the war stories I've got.
0: Well, let's start this. Um, what's like been the hardest, you know, competition that you've actually had to work, or you know, one of those things where ROs are putting in a ton of miles or you know, having to run a run with shooters a bunch, you know? Um
1: the old pro-am at rock castle yeah that was a brutal match for range officers <laughs> terrain, it was,
0: terrain terrain elevation changes
1: <laughs> well and you could be out there in thunder valley running a stage and have no shade Ugh. the entire day in august it you know yeah i i worked one stage that we were at what was called the red barn. No shade.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We were out there and you're running 350 shooters through in Too two day. and a half days.
0: Yeah. No, thank you.
1: I mean, it, it, there's a lot to it. I didn't realize how much went into matches until I started ROing. Like you don't yeah. see the ROs having meetings and going, all right, guys, remember we've got five minutes get this from shoot from hammer down to hammer down. You got five minutes per shooter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: so from the time i tell you to make ready until the time my next year comes up i've got five minutes yeah and sometimes it can be like herding cats
0: yeah i know it always is like herding cats
1: <laughs> yeah squad moms are awesome You're welcome. when you get a good squad mom it's like now here's our order yeah. And then you'll have that one. It's like, we don't know the order. We just come in kind of shooting whenever. And I'm like, no, no, we're not having CNRP. <laughs> the
0: <laughs> or no, they're not ready. Not... They're not loaded. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If I have to keep telling you to get your stuff ready, we're gonna start talking about handing out some procedurals.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. Because, so. <laughs>
1: because all of a sudden you can be, you know, like at the old pro-am where it was 300 shooters you start spending seven eight nine minutes per shooter all of a sudden you've lost hours Mm -hmm. and there's no way to make it up you only have so much daylight
0: yeah people don't realize like i mean think about if you collected a penny a day or doubled your penny every day like that compound effect is a lot um and unfortunately us three gunners like we don't pause for torrential downpours or for snow or for literally anything we can't we don't have the time so You know, you pick your squad, you pick the time you shoot and (laughs) hammer down.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the only thing I've ever gotten delayed with was, particularly at the old, uh, we've had it happen a couple of times, is fog.
0: Oh, yeah. You can't even see targets. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like if it's a long range stage, there was one we shot last year. I think it was at Memorial. And there was 200 yard steel and none of us could see it. We yeah. couldn't even see the fifty yard steel from the fog. Yeah. And normally it's not that foggy in that part of North Carolina, but it was for us on that particular day. Um I borrowed in the remnants of a tropical storm or two. That's always fun. <laughs> um and chiggers. My goodness, can you get chiggers?
0: Yeah. Sunburn. If
1: you've got like a jungle run stage, yeah. you better dash yourself in deep.
0: Yeah. And check yourself yeah. for real. There's been ticks and stuff. Um, Yeah. Sunscreen and hydration and food. There's a lot that ROs have to have to consider. So if you're listening to this volunteer for a match or two.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think everybody should have to RO at least one match in their day. Yeah. Um, I, agree. I mean, I've had people get like new shooters get Twitter pated because they don't know what's happening. <laughs> and all of a sudden like They've made ready and they've not been given the command and you got to like pull them aside and be like, okay, mm-hmm. I know this is your first match. You, you know, you kind of have to walk them through it. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're people too. And I've definitely made some bad calls and yep. you know, and I've had other ROs I was working with make a bad call that, you know, you know, yeah, you can do that. Well, no. And the rule book says you can't, but you told them yes. And they did it. We get to make that mistake all weekend. Yeah. You know, because once you
0: do it for one, you have to do it for the rest.
1: You gotta make it is I sh- for every shooter.
0: I'm shocked at the amount of not just ROs, but the amount of shooters that shoot even at a high level who have never read cover to cover the rule book, right? Like they're, there's like <laughs> there's rules in there too where a stage cannot be all shot with one gun in some rule sets you have to shoot two guns. that's the whole point of those three gun rules right um so read you the rule book
1: shoot, shoot in a particular order yeah and sometimes it's like oh well now if you want to shoot shotgun first you can and then go to your pistol and then to your rifle or you can start with your rifle and go to your pistol you know there's so many iterations of that yeah yeah, absolutely. But so. Yeah, read rule books, especially if you're going to a major out of town. Mm-hmm. Read the rule book. Read the division rules. Yep. I've seen so many people show up and think they can use a bipod. I'm like, no, that puts you in open. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, bipods are open gear. Yep. You want to run a bipod? Oh, that's fine, but you're going to be running with those. Got you know, guys running dissident magazine-fed shotguns, red dots on their pistols, and yep. two or three optics on their rifle over that bipod
0: yeah really yeah you're gonna do that so read the rules uh there's different rule sets and read the division and maybe not just the division that you're in but like maybe you know if you're bringing a friend or a buddy shooting this thing like look out for each other right um because that's a lot
1: yeah and you you probably know more about it than i do but like high cap and low cap rules it could be really easy to bump our shotguns and three gun mine will hold i can get i think 14 in it Pack optics division and capacity is nine. Yep.
0: And I'm counting shots.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And one that you accidentally loaded over capacity and you were in open.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you know, we've all done the thing where we start and we cram four more in there and yep. keep going in our outlaw matches. And in some matches you you know you can never exceed
0: eight rounds or something. Yeah.
1: Eight or nine rounds in the shotgun at any given time. Yep. Yeah so that used to be a a big thing like back in the three gun nation days too yeah
0: yeah i remember they you would they would check shotguns too for plugs sometimes too to make sure you only had eight in that tube um, and then one in the the chamber so um (laughs) i have to ask what's the worst dq you've ever had to ro
1: i've only had the one where the guy lost his pistol
0: okay well then you were lucky because did you see my video from two gun nationals roing oh yes yeah, loaded gun just falling off because we had a gamer stage it for that much more oomph on the top of it, and just floop. You know, if I see bullet heads and tips and SBRs falling on the ground pointed at I me, mean, I'm not a happy camper.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, not gonna be a happy camper at that point.
0: No. I remember a three gun nation one, I had this X stage, and you you have to run in lines, you know, in three gun nation again, read the rules. <laughs> so yep. You so you had to go from this X tip down and back up. And legit, I just had a whole shooter completely turn with the gun the same direction, point straight at me at the X. So I was like, we're done. We're done here for the day, <laughs> for the match. So
1: Yeah, I, I've heard of some close calls, but never on my stage. And
0: you're lucky. You no, know, knock on wood. I I never
1: have one. Yeah. Um, yeah. At the same time, I'm only going to ask twice. The third time, you're getting tackled. <laughs> I hear I, you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that sounds harsh, but we all, you know, safety has got to be the first thing you think about when you're playing these sports. Like, yeah. yep. we're running stuff that's can be very dangerous. Yep.
0: I think a lot of that's a good thing, and we talk about this throughout the podcast with several guests of getting lax, you know, lax is cool about your safety habits. Okay. Like, Oh, I'm around guns every day, you know, whatever. And you just kind of point it wherever and put it wherever. And honestly, that's, that's going to where, where mistakes happen. Right. So we're thinking big boy rules, respect the firearms. It doesn't matter how long you have been doing this. It doesn't matter if you touch a gun every single day, you're a gunsmith. I'm pretty sure you probably check if a gun's clear 7,000 times, even every single time you put it back down and pick it back up. Right.
1: I've had closer calls in my shop than I have on the three gun or in any kind of competition. Yeah. I mean, I've had people bring in a gun and they're like, well, it didn't fire and they're flagging me with it. And I'm like, dude, put it down, and step back. Yeah. Like, it could be a hang fire. It could be empty. I don't know until I've checked it that it's empty. Yeah. And, uh, you know, accidents happen. I've always, I've only ever had one, maybe two NDs in 30 some odd years that I can remember and one was I was practicing three gun at a buddy's house and I'd been practicing running my match saver and I was pointing off into a cornfield trying to get used to because we were switching shotguns just to make it fun well like switch gear just mess with each other and uh I slid it in and I was dry firing and I slid it in and dropped it and it went but I was pointed off into a cornfield mm-hmm. you know yep. like you gotta you know and it was one of those it was just a muscle memory thing yeah and it 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 can happen that's yeah. why you gotta you know read the rule set definitely and you see something happening that shouldn't be happening say something
0: yeah it saves everybody we're not trying to we're not out there to DQ people competitors should not be out there to keep each other we're, we're really looking for safety
1: um, no, I don't want to send anybody home. And I'm a. Uh, you know, I'll I'll do. I've had guys fall and ride that shotgun all the way to the ground. Yeah. yeah. And land on it and cut themselves, you know, like to the point we were talking about making some sutures. And he said, Am I out? I said, No. He said, Am I the I said, No, man, you wrote it all the way to the ground. You never pointed it at anybody. You never yep. lost control of it. And he was like, oh, well, back home, I would have went home to that. And I was like, I don't know why. Right. You know, I'll do everything I can to keep you in the match. Yeah. Because a big part of our owing is public, you know, customer service. Customer service. we
0: customers. Shooters that pay our customers. Whether you pay or not. If sponsored slot. Whatever. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing. Well, and, I need.
1: Yeah. And I'm not going to give you a bunch of leeway because you got a jersey either in fact I'm probably going to be a little bit harder on you because you should know that
0: yeah we're like pro-ams uh Donnie or Donald Don beer uh he he's got his gun shotgun at the the make ready at high port and beep and like boom bird shot off in the sky of course that's a safe direction for bird shot, but on a pro level and I'll give him you know hell for this and he knows it at a pro level, you probably shouldn't be ADing into the air at the beep but have your finger yeah. even get the trigger. Like on mm, amateurs, maybe, right? Like, yeah, but it's tough.
1: So, well, and you know, it, nerves get us all. And yeah, I've seen people like accidentally pop a shot off from transitioning to one knockdown to another, oh, and yeah. they will pop one off in between them and they yeah. don't even know they've done it. Yeah, and or in the barrels, <laughs> <Yeah>. tables. Is- <laughs> been many a table that have you know had holes shot in it over the years
0: yeah so look around the range and you'll know what happened (laughs) once you start to see oh yeah
1: you you can always find the uh the one dump bucket that you know got shotguns fall on it (laughs) where someone (laughs) just starts a bird shot into it
0: yep yep oh man uh who's your favorite ro uh to work with um
1: Like, as a stage partner or just in a match in general?
0: Whatever works. Who's your favorite that comes to mind, maybe? Maybe both. Uh,
1: Mark Kronk. I don't know if you know him. He's out of Missouri. Uh, He RO'd uh, Pro-Am last year. Cool. Okay. Um, I met him. He was the other RO the first time I went out and shot Generation 3 gun. And we RO'd together in that tropical storm and me with my rule book and my radio, um, you know Chris Wiseman. Of course,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. And plus, his art—I hated watching Chris paste targets at a match. That was his whole job. At a RO reset match, was to paste holes, which I think is a competitor's job. But I won't get into that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't think of any ROs I really dislike work. There's a couple, and I won't name names, that no. I'm like, oh, yeah, please don't make me work with them. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to spend this that much time in three days around them. And it, you know, some of them, I'm sure they're perfectly good people. It's just a personality thing. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. That's what's true. Trying- who you enjoy you working know, with.
1: I love working with, like, Bruce Davidson.
0: Oh, God. I would pay to work with both. Of, yeah. With both of them are <laughs> a lot of fun. Chad Francis. Oh my and God. And Donnie Flo. Can you imagine? Uh, you would get no Eric work. Eric
1: Hart. I don't know if you know Eric or not.
0: Uh, He used to be the, ma- or it was match director. I think of Memorial when I went and shot that.
1: Yeah. he's well, he was last year. I think he is again this year.
0: But yeah. He uh, so worked a lot. But
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Andy Horner. I never got to work any of his matches. Um, Mike Sexton
0: oh great dude yeah
1: oh yeah Quiet. one of my favorite RO stories was we had somebody discard gear and it said in the rules you may not discard anything right and it was yeah so he got I think it was a 10 or 15 second procedural for it for discarding gear I mean it wasn't it was a nice whack yeah and the guy got really angry with me. And he said, well, who's who's a uh, who's range master? And I was like, oh, so-and-so. And it was Dean Turk. I don't know if you know Dean. I don't. Um, Dean is a school teacher, one of the coolest guys you'll ever meet, but he looks like Captain Caveman. Captain who? Caveman from the cartoons. Like, he bench presses over 400 pounds.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Okay.
1: So... The contestant decides to argue with Dean Turk, and then went when he didn't get his answer he wanted, he decided to go argue with Mike Sexton.
0: Oh, I know how that ended. Not well. <laughs> okay. I've seen Mark get it, or Mike get heated. Yeah.
1: Mike put his foot up on the table and told him he could uh, you know, get his gear and go to the next stage or depart from the range and it was not in <laughs> I mean it was marine terms how he told him it. And that was the end of the discussion. And that was his two choices. Either yeah. get his stuff and go to the next or get off the ring.
0: Yeah. You need, yeah range, uh, you need range masters like that too though,
1: you know. It, it it amazed me though that someone one would argue with these two men.
0: Yeah. Oh well, Mike never. Sexton really
1: like <laughs> Mike can't hear what you're saying, so he really doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> huh? What? Uh-huh. So uh yeah, you know, I've, I've worked with some great, ma- uh, great match directors that give the ROs. You know, they back us and say, "You guys see it." Yeah. And I've reversed calls. Like, if you got a video and you can show me that I called that hit wrong, I'll bet I'll gladly take that penalty out.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're not. I, I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of people don't understand. These matches are not going to be fair. We're not going to get 100 things right. Whether I'm an RO or you're an RO or that competitor was an RO, it's just like any other sport, right? There's going to be discrepancies. We're doing our best. You know, we're running, like you said, 500 shooters in two days, right? Or and you're tired and, and we not I, be hung over. Yeah, and and we're, but we're still ourselves on doing the right thing and doing, yeah, doing our job. And yeah, stuff.
1: you You know, you're going to make mistakes, but you do your best. To get the calls you can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, you know, if you say, oh, I, I definitely knocked that skill down, purely with the, some of the flipper targets. Yeah, yeah. Like absolutely. to pop back up.
0: Yep. I had that uh, on that video you know. once. I was the only RO doing that. Again, that X-stage, and it was shotgun, shotgun, shotgun on those. And one of them had come back up and flip up. But I mean, I'm trying to watch the gun and making sure it's pointing the right direction, I'm not looking at these targets every single individual. But yeah.
1: no. And, well, and sometimes you're like, you know, oh, this one's bladed just right that I know I'm going to take, some ricochet off of it and i don't know any ro that's not picked bird shot out of some part of them yep like have you really ro'd if you've not been spotted with bird shot
0: yep yep i get shrapnel all the time um (laughs) what's the dumbest thing you've ever seen a competitor do
1: seen several people blow the bottom out of barrels <laughs> and uh, sleds, you know, dump sleds, the dump flats. Yeah. The the rifle boards. Um, yep. One thing you see a lot is people changing their gear, like, at the match or, like, the night before. And it's yep. like, oh, I just put on this new optic. Is it zero? I, don't, I, I you know, borscheyed it. <laughs> oh. Let me tell you what
0: I bore sighted some stuff and it had been six inches off before. Right. Yeah. I um my Atlas so getting ready for this this match. I just got a new mag release and because I'm not hitting it fully all the way down because it's so far out. And then I I dumped my own self shooting pew on the ground right. So I got a shorter one. Um, but I put it in. I took it right back out because you shouldn't change anything before a major. That's what you're used to. That's what you should run whether it's conducive or not. You know, go out and test the new product later if that's not the place for it so
1: yeah and I I, I've had to I broke my safety in the middle of a match and had to change it and that was not fun it was a rifle safety so it wasn't that bad <laughs> but it was still like oh man because my other one was all broken and nice and smooth and this one wasn't all broken it was a little yeah. bit slower on the yeah I try yeah. not to change you know I've done bad things to equipment too
0: Yeah. Uh, last thing on this section too, uh, how can shooters be safer and work with ROs, uh, better? So everybody's happy.
1: Be patient. I mean, that's a big thing. We're out there, um, working and it's not always fun. Yep. Yeah. I like that.
0: Any final thoughts, Josh, that you want to leave people with?
1: Um, not that I can think of, other than keep the powder dry stay safe out there. And, you know, if you see me in a match, say hi. I may or may not remember who you are, because I see 300 shooters every match I go to, or 150, and it's like, after a while, it's just kind of like, oh, no, don't remember your run, because I've seen the same stage shot 300
0: times. Through that, through that. Oh man. Uh, any shout outs you want to give to uh, sponsors or companies out there that are doing good? Um,
1: I'm self-sponsored, uh, through my company, Mm -hmm. jmbgunsmithing.com. You can find me on Facebook under my name or jmbgunsmithing until they nuke that account. (laughs) Um, I keep fighting them every time I get it back. Uh, You can find me on Instagram under, I believe it's JMB gunsmithing.
0: Awesome. And what services do you offer as a recap? So if people need something, you know, what do you do? I
1: do a little bit of everything. I'll headhunt rare guns. Um, I do repairs. I do parts. I do refinishes. I have built 2011s. I've built ARs. I've done stock jobs. I've done bedding jobs.
0: So pretty much ask and the shop probably will be there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And if I don't do it, I have like hot blueing. I have places I send it.
0: Yeah. We know people, you know, the best.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, the price will drop your jaw, but it'll be the (laughs) best blueing you've ever seen.
0: Uh, That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Josh, thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge. And, um, I just think it's really cool all the different things that you do and I hope one day I have my own livestock and bees and I'll come consult you.
1: <laughs> Sounds good you'll have to come shoot some birds and uh yes shoot some of these oddball rare things I've got. Might do oh, put the 416 it. out there for you and see how far it'll knock you back.
0: Oh heck yeah we'll get that on slow-mo. <laughs>
1: we'll do it at 5,000 frames per second.
0: Heck yeah. It's a lot of cool. Yeah, I want to go upland bird hunting. I want to check that off. I want to do everything. So count me in. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again. Uh, and thanks thank- for having me. Yeah. See you at the next three gun match, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> you will see me uh depends on when this comes out. Um at Gen 3 Pro Am and Memorial this year.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for all your work that you do, uh, ROing. I know it's not easy. So thank you.
1: Oh, I love doing it.
0: Me too. That's a lot of fun. (laughs) You get to hang out with everybody. (laughs) Yeah, you do. So awesome. Well, thank you for listening and uh, tune in to our next episode on the Radical Up podcast. Thanks for listening to the Radical Up podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Radical Up or 3 Kenzie.